0: Boys and girls, I'm going to give you an assignment. I want you to write Buffy. Project-based, competency-based education. Online and hybrid classes. Demand after disruption of global education systems in history. I'm Jimmy Leonard. This is Kickin' It New School, blinded by the test. It's the most classic anxiety dream, right? You're back in school, sitting at your desk on the day of a test. Maybe the page is blank. Maybe you don't remember the answers. Maybe you don't have a pencil or the pencil tip breaks repeatedly and you have to keep sharpening it and sharpening it until it's just this little stub that you have to pinch between your fingers. But no matter what the scenario, you dream of taking a test and you know you're about to fail. When I was in college, I started tutoring kids in ACT and SAT preparation. And one of the things I would constantly hear from parents is, I want my child to do better on this test so they can get into a good school. Whatever that means to them, right? A good school. Students would say, I'm trying to raise my score to this many points, like I got a 28 on the ACT, but I need at least a 32 so I can get into a good school. In their literature, a lot of colleges advertise what their average SAT or ACT scores are for an incoming freshman class. Whether it's actually true or not, there is this perception that college admittance relies heavily on one test score. And interestingly enough, it's a test score that you're never satisfied with, because unless you scored perfectly the first time, you know you can try again and squeeze those extra points, and somehow obsessing over that score, getting those extra 100 points on the SAT, will be the difference between community college and Ivy League. Or at least, that's what people used to think before COVID. And one way this is impacting a lot of people regards testing needed to get into college. How has the coronavirus changed this? Getting rid of standardized test scores. That's the new policy some colleges are shifting towards in the admissions process. Big news for college-bound students. The University of California system will no longer consider SAT and ACT scores for admission. All these major universities are saying, if you can't take the test because of COVID, don't worry about it. No stress. And on one hand, it seems like the least of what schools should do, this basic, fundamental kindness that appreciates the circumstances. But on the other hand, it's pretty radical. Just this thing that for generations has been the focal point of high school English and math, this test that we prepare for and teach to, this test that determines scholarships and benchmarks for school funding, and there's this whole industry of super expensive prep courses and giant books preparing you for that four hours of torture on a Saturday morning. That test doesn't matter anymore beyond the closure of in-person schools and moving everything online, one of the most talked about decisions in higher education during the pandemic was the removal of standardized tests as a college admissions criterion. And really, this has been a long time coming. If you're a teacher or you're in education, you aren't shocked. The writing has been on the wall for a long time. This is John Oliver from like six years ago. Standardised tests. You have to ask yourself, if standardised tests are bad for teachers and bad for kids, who exactly are they good for? Well, it turns out they're operated by companies like all these, and let's just focus on the largest one, Pearson. Really, for years, there have been lawsuits and allegations that standardized tests, despite the name, despite the intention to standardize measures of academic readiness and thus make it possible to compare tens of thousands of applicants on a level playing field, these tests favor predominantly white students of affluent backgrounds with the means to hire a tutor. And I do get the irony here because I'm one of the tutors who gets hired. I've made money helping kids prepare for these tests. But the reasoning goes that the test advantages kids who can take a test prep course and pay to retake the exam until they're happy with their score. And because of that, many people have been against standardized tests. It is a real measured thing that on average, rich kids score higher on the SAT. On the internet, you're going to see stuff about stereotype threats and culturally biased questions. I actually think the College Board has made great strides to limit cultural bias in the questions to the extent that it's humanly possible to do so. The reading passages nowadays are all about civil rights or saving the environment. That's about as spicy as it gets. But the point is that a high SAT score often means your family has money to hire a private tutor. As much as, or maybe even more so as it means you have an aptitude for mathematics and verbal reasoning, let alone you'll do well in college. And not to rant on this too much, but if we want to take the altruistic view that the purpose of college is to prepare someone to make meaningful contributions to the global society through their career, or even the more cynical view that the purpose of college is to retain students for four years so universities can cash those tuition checks, test taking is a poor predictor of either one of those things. The correlations just aren't there to justify the emphasis that we put on tests. But anyway, I'm probably preaching to the choir here. Nobody really likes standardized tests except the companies that make money off of them. We just do it because we think it's this necessary evil to get into college. It's like we struck this deal with the devil a long time ago. And for generations, nobody has wanted to disrupt the status quo until now. So if standardized tests aren't a key factor in college admissions anymore, what should parents be stressing with their kids? In other words, if we're truly moving to a test-blind scenario, what are the best things to do to stand out on a college application? The purpose of this episode is not so much about what colleges should consider as admissions criteria. I've got some hot takes on that, but maybe for another time. Ask me on my website if you really want to know, jimmyleonard.com slash podcast. But I want to talk about looking at the data, looking at what colleges have said, what are they considering for better or worse, and how can an applicant best stand out without a test score to validate their application. To start, especially for parents and students listening to this, be aware that not every school is truly test blind right now. Test-blind means that test scores are not considered, even if you submit them. The UC system has announced that it will be test-blind for at least the next several years. This was following a court-ordered injunction and lots of fun stuff back in the height of COVID last year. But strictly speaking, test-blind means we do not care. We do not want to know your ACT or SAT score. Now, at some test-blind schools, it's sometimes still possible to use something like the SAT writing score to test out of an entry-level composition requirement, but I'm talking strictly about admissions. Now, if a school doesn't want to go the full way to test blindness, and honestly, most schools in America are still uncomfortable with a truly test-blind policy, there is a middle ground called test-optional. Depending on where you live, most schools that you or your student would be applying to are in fact test optional for the fall of 2021. So this is everything from the University of Michigan, Michigan State, University of Tennessee, UNC, MIT, Harvard, Yale. It's a long list. In these test optional situations, you can submit your ACT or SAT scores if you want, and then the admissions committee will consider them. So if it's a high score and it's going to help you, go ahead and put it on the application. If it's a low or non-existent score, don't worry about it. But even still, the messaging, the public-facing statements from these schools seem to imply that they're looking at other stuff more than the test score. The tone is test-optional, tell us if you want, but we're not pushing you to tell us, like we don't really care. It's like when somebody posts what they had for dinner last night on Instagram. That was optional. Nobody asked you to do that. And yeah, I might look at it. I might double tap it just for the pity vote, but I don't actually care. Pretty much all these universities say the same thing in slightly different wording when it comes to test. I have in front of me a statement from Boston College. I'll read this as an example. Students who are unable to submit standardized test results or who choose not to will not be disadvantaged in our selection process. For those students who do submit standardized testing results, we will use the scores as one component in our holistic review of applications. So if you're like most people, you're wondering, what does that mean? A holistic review sounds like I'm talking to a weight loss coach to get on a personalized plan to sculpt my body while still eating the foods I love. Like we're going to look at you holistically before we make any recommendations. We're going to use your SAT score as one component, but we're looking at other stuff. It's almost frustrating. The process seems so opaque. What is the other stuff? What do you want to know? What do you want me to tell you? If you don't care about test scores, then what do you care about? One of my specialties as an editor is the college personal statement. I know, that's a shameless plug. But what I always say when I'm helping someone with a personal statement is to think of it like a job interview. Colleges wanna know, will you be successful here? And think about what success means from the perspective of the college. Long-term, they want to know, are you going to graduate? Are you likely to finish a program? Again, maybe cynically, so the college gets the full tuition dollars, or altruistically, so you can become a well-respected alumnus, an ambassador for the university, a representative of their mission and values in your chosen career field? Are you going to give back through financial support or otherwise? In the short term, they want to know, are you going to make the most of opportunities on campus? Are you going to bring passion to our degree programs and make this a dynamic institution for our staff and your fellow students? Are you going to be engaged on campus? Are you going to make this a vibrant place for others to live and grow? Someone who gets all A's but never talks in class and never does anything on campus, they just hide in their dorm room and go home every weekend, that person is not an ideal student for most colleges. Colleges want prospective students to say, this is an exciting place to be. I've made great friends here. I love the professors. I love the opportunities on campus. And so to achieve that, they want to admit students who are going to be great friends, who are going to make the teaching experience rewarding so the colleges can retain those professors and students who are going to get involved so those on-campus opportunities continue and thrive. Think about it from the college's perspective. That is what success means to them And it's fair that those things would be a pretty good starting point for success from the student perspective too. So back to the first point here about applications, there are some things on a college application that are hard to fix. Class rank, for example. If you're a junior in high school and you're not currently in the top 10 of your class, it's hard to suddenly springboard yourself into the top 10. Or the number of AP or IB classes offered at your school. Again, unless you're willing to transfer schools, you can't always change the number of IB courses available to you. So I could say that those things matter in college admissions, and to some extent they do, but what's the point in worrying about it if it's largely out of your control to change it? Really, I point that out just for the sake of contrast. Some things on a college application you can't change, but some things you can. One of those is the rigor of coursework. Do you push yourself to take difficult classes? Maybe somebody who is a rising junior or a rising senior hasn't always chosen the most challenging course load in the past. There's time to make that adjustment or to take some different classes before applying to college. I would argue that a B in a difficult class looks better on your transcript than an A in an easy class. Here's why. Again, from that altruistic view, challenging yourself, working hard, and having a proven track record of overcoming adversity are all indicators of success in college. You're saying, I won't quit. I'll keep at it. I've proven that I won't flunk or drop out if I find myself in a difficult class. From the cynical view, colleges are maybe thinking we have to justify higher level course offerings by tenured professors, those niche seminar classes that only have like 10 people in them. We have to have something to offer visiting scholars and some enticement for our big name researchers to actually teach an undergraduate. Really no self-respecting professor wants to teach Psych 101 to a bunch of apathetic slackers who flunk every test and live for the weekend party scene. So colleges want some indication that you won't be a flunking, apathetic slacker. So showing that you can take the hard course and you can do well is a great way to up your application. Plus, a lot of times it leads to a great recommendation letter from a teacher who's seen you put in the hard work and has seen you overcome some challenges in a class that wasn't always your favorite or wasn't always the easiest. Now, there is a caveat here to this advice Yes, challenge yourself, but don't overreach. So I'm gonna say still take classes that you will do well in. For example, if physical science is not your thing and you're choosing between chemistry and AP chemistry, don't take AP chemistry just for the heck of it if you know that getting a B in regular chemistry will be hard enough. There is a diminishing return here. A B in a hard class is understandable, but a D minus in a hard class is like, eh, now I'm wondering if the teacher just passed you out of pity and you actually will flunk out in college. So course rigor within reason is the way to go. Next, extracurriculars. Here's the thing here, deep, not wide. Deep, not wide for extracurriculars. Again, it's all about success from the college's perspective. The altruistic view is wondering, is this student going to champion a cause and be an advocate for a particular issue or pursuit? Is this going to be the kind of person who will assume a leadership role or start a new club on campus? Maybe a more cynical view is wondering if you're going to show any commitment at all. Really, what good is it to anyone if you sign up for a dozen clubs on paper, but you're not actively involved in any of them? that doesn't help any of those clubs thrive. So from the college perspective, fewer interest often means more likely to put in the time that will add vibrancy and diversity to the university community. And let's talk for a second about stuff colleges really don't care about. Probably the worst advice I hear is for students to just grab nominal leadership positions. Be a vice president of the honor society because that will look good. I'm telling you, an admissions counselor will see through that anyway. Nobody actually cares what random titles you had in high school. They care about what kind of person you are. And you don't want to send the message that I'm the kind of person who will do anything just to look good. Instead, send the message that I'm the kind of person who sincerely cares about what I'm doing and dedicates my time and energy to the causes I believe in. And how do you articulate that? Well, that's where the personal statement comes in. This is more important than ever now that so many schools are looking past or making optional the standardized test scores. A good college admissions essay should show some demonstrated interest in the school. Not corny, but sincere. Corny would be saying, I want to go here because this school is rated number one for nursing. It just kind of sounds like the teacher's pet brown nosing. Sincere would be saying, I want to go here because I get to work in this particular hospital, which I love for these reasons. Really be as specific as possible. What this does is communicate to the college that you won't drop out or it's less likely that you'll drop out and that you are going to shine bright as a student and give positive promotion as an alum. Then my next advice is to just write about what you love and what makes you tick. One of the biggest mistakes I see with essays is that students think the goal is to impress someone. I'll be blunt here. It's not, and you won't. The application is not to be impressive. It's to see if you'll fit in and be successful at the school. That's it. And you won't impress anyone anyway. Admissions counselors have seen it all before. State champion in this, award winner in that, Your achievements are not as unique as you think they are. I'm sorry, but they aren't. I read hundreds of essays every year. I can tell you what sounds cookie cutter. It's the stuff like, I want to end world hunger, or I want to cure cancer. A much better essay is just telling a story about how cancer has impacted your life and affected your loved ones and how that's led you to develop an interest in medical research and why you specifically want to conduct medical research at this university saying, I want to go to this school. I will be successful at this school. That makes you sound more credible and it better answers the question about whether or not you would be successful at that institution. As more and more schools go to test-blind or test-optional, we need to stop focusing on the wrong things. The old-school way is to spend hours learning SAT analogies. Those really don't matter. They're not even on the test anymore. Instead, the focus should be on developing as a person, cultivating a passion, and learning how to articulate individuality. If you want more thoughts on that, ask me. jimmyleonard.com slash podcast. I'd love to hear from you. Hey, it's probably about time for me to wrap this up. Kicking It New School is a podcast about challenging some of the long-standing assumptions in education and exploring how we can reach this current generation. Please subscribe. Share a link. Tell your friends. I talk about cultivating a passion. I am passionate about making education work for everyone. So please visit my website at jimmyleinard.com slash podcast. Ask your questions. Tell me what you want to hear about in a future episode and let's connect. Well, that's the show. Thank you so much for joining. Until next time.